are we trying to trick the body? I mean, the human body is so intelligent and we're trying to make these things in a lab to override the natural biological system. Just doesn't feel right. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 185 of the Biohacker Babes. I am Lauren tuning in from, oh my gosh, where am I today? (laughs) Rhode Island? I'm in Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island. First time. Funny enough, Rhode Island is not that far away from Maryland or New York, but I've never been to this state. And now I only have one state in the country that I've not been to. (gasps) Which one is left? I guess maybe that'll be the pop quiz question of the day. Do you know which state I have not been to? (laughs) Idaho? No. Oh. You want a clue? Yeah, what's a clue? Well, the easiest clue. If I had gone on family vacation last summer, I would have checked it off my list. Alaska. Yeah. Duh. That makes sense. Wow. You've been to almost every state. That's awesome. Yeah. But isn't it kind of strange that it took this long to check Rhode Island off my list? Anyways, here I am. It's super cute. Yeah. I like it. Cool. (laughs) I've never been either. So yeah. Well, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. I am joined by my sister, Renee. Hi. I'm in Vegas as always. (laughs) Nothing exciting. Our usual, consistent, boring Las Vegas. (laughs) Although we had the most insane windstorm overnight. It was like 70 mile an hour winds last night. It was crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah, this week is crazy, crazy weather patterns all over the country. I don't think anyone is spared. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we're so happy that you're here today. We have a jam-packed nutrition focus episode for you. We're covering a range of topics, all with the purpose of helping you to make better informed decisions for your health. Nutrition, we know it's complicated. It's very personal. We're all biochemically unique and individual. And we want you to go through this episode keeping your critical thinking hats on. You know what is best for your body. We do not. So we can hold your hand and guide you and share resources. But ultimately, you are the one that's going to decide what's going to work best for you. Disclaimer as we prep for this episode, you know, we read through a lot of studies, articles, published papers, and it's really, really easy to confirm particular narratives that we want to present. I find that often. Just naturally, I'll be like swaying towards whichever story that I, you know, the point that I want to make, the story that I want to tell. And so we made sure to really stop ourselves and look from a holistic, wide lens perspective. We want to be as neutral as possible. But, you know, this begs the question, is it possible to not have some type of influence or bias? Probably not. So that's why we want you to have critical thinking and determine what makes sense to you as we go through the episode. Yeah, I. it's funny, the timing of this, because I'm working on a nutrition plan for a client right now. And one of the ways I do nutrition plans when I work for Ben Greenfield is I review someone's intake form and all of their labs, and then I give them a potential nutrition plan for a year. But in the back of my mind, I'm always like, but there's so many things that can change. You know, I'm kind of just throwing it out there. Like, I think this is the most optimal, but knowing it's probably going to need to be updated multiple times as we work through different levels. So I think even, you know, for everyone listening, if you feel like you maybe have found what has worked is working for you today, it might be different in three, six months down the road. Just know that it could change um, because we're always changing, right? We're dynamic beings. The world is changing. The environment's changing. The seasons are changing. There's just so many things. So just be willing to go with the flow as your nutrition needs need to adapt. I think that's so important. I think our health, our bodies are dynamic. The, the, the naturally inherent dynamic nature of the body, of course, things would change. That's so interesting that you have to plan for that much time. I mean, how much how much of a blueprint and template can you create? Well, I guess that's where the resources, the education, the empowerment that comes in. So that is our hope right. that that is seeping in, having that structure and just understanding how to read articles, blogs, how to discern public opinion, 
uh, fact versus fiction. Is that even a thing in science? I mean, it's just so convoluted. So complex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the day, we're asking you to be your own biohacker. Ah, there it is. There's the tagline. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. First topic of the day, we are talking about whole foods slash the dangers of fake meat products. Oh, gosh. This is the big one. I'm going to pause. Let you jump in. (laughs) Well, I think just to start off, and actually, I'm giving a nutrition lecture in a couple of weeks about very similar to what we're talking about today. And I always like to start with the idea of whole foods. If you're really confused about nutrition, just take a step back and say, am I eating whole foods? Is everything I'm eating one ingredient? Did it come from this planet? You know, did it come from nature? Right. I think that's like the very basic question, because if you are still eating anything out of a package that has multiple ingredients, that's where it gets confusing, right? You have to figure out how to read the labels and decipher what's going on in there. But are you eating whole foods? And as our friend Sean Croxton would say, jerf, just eat real food, right? If we look at our ancestors over the last hundreds of thousands of years, they were just eating real food. They were definitely not counting their macros and tracking their glucose and worried about the fake foods that we are going to talk about in just a second. So I think just to keep it really basic, always step back and look at, is this a real food that I'm eating? Yeah. It's really tricky marketing because so many boxes, packages, wrappers now claim to be organic, all natural, gluten free. And natural doesn't mean anything. Natural doesn't mean anything. And also, I mean, these claims about it being free of something like Jeremy found this plant-based energy drink. What does that even mean? Yeah. Plant-based is not a regulated term. Yeah. So yeah, plant-based. So it came from a plant at some time, but that plant could have been soy that was then annihilated in a lab and processed to hell. Like, and then it's still plant-based. What a word, annihilation. Annihilation. That's how I picture it in the labs. Yeah. So, okay. Whole real foods. We love Jerf. And I love Sean Croxton had those t-shirts so long ago. He was such a pioneer in that. But um, we really wanted to talk about fake meat, meat products because there is just so much food dogma and uh, food wars over is plant-based meat the way of the future, is the way of our health. And I think there's a couple of arguments here, sustainability, nutrition, accessibility, cost. Probably the sustainability and the health conversation are the biggest ones. And right now, I think there is more awareness about the nutrition that is being gained and or lost on either direction. But I'm hearing now that people are saying you have to choose between sustainability and health, which means that some people are choosing sustainability and the health of the planet over one's own health or health of the body. I would argue that those are the same thing. Anything that's going to be sustainable for the planet is probably going to be healthier and more sustainable for us. And we can explain why, but any comments on that, Renee? Yeah. Well, I think the other argument is we have to use these plant-based fake meats because the industrial farming is killing the planet. And it's like a lot of, I hear a lot of this conversation and there's not a lot of talk about what's in the middle with the regenerative farming. And we could spend a whole episode on that. I'm going to just jump ahead and throw out, if you have not read Sacred Cow or watched the Sacred Cow documentary, it breaks it down way better than I ever could. So definitely look at that as far as regenerative farming. But I think it's like there's this huge spectrum and we're fighting these two sides. And why aren't we like meeting in the middle here? Yeah, I think avoiding the middle is not creating the change that we need. So by just eating plant-based foods and not talking about why the traditional or the commercial or what did you call it? Like industrial farming? Industrial farming is bad for the planet. So use of herbicides, pesticides, tilling, which destroys the soil. There's a lot of water water runoff because the soil cannot absorb. I guess we could go into these <laughs> each in a very detailed and isolated way. But industrial farming is not more sustainable. Like cows grazing on pasture actually improves our soil quality because they're pooping onto the earth. And that delivers nutrients and microbes into the soil. 
which is going to improve not only the nutrient diversity of the plants that are then being grown on the soil, but it's regenerative. It goes into a cycle. So there's a, you know, circle of life. This is the way that farmers did this for so long. The plants, uh, sorry, the cows pooped, the soil got rich in microbes. They developed plants that were nutrient dense. We ate them and so on and so on. Good soil helps transfer the nutrients. And a lot of our soil is depleted these days, which means that our plants are depleted. So even if you're arguing that a plant-based diet is more nutritious because of all the dangers of what could be in animals, which is not incorrect, like antibiotics. Well, I mean, also there's the whole issue of they're growing all these grains and soy and uh, corn to then feed the industrial farmed animals. So there's also that concern, which again, we're not supporting that. Yeah, their food supply isn't healthy. So how would we get healthy by eating that? Yeah. So we want the poop to feed the soil, to feed the plants, to feed us, and also to feed the animals. So in the industrial farming, they're fed the antibiotics, poor food supply. They um, are not allowed to roam. So they're not eating grass. They're not getting sunshine, which means that they're stressed. So yeah, this is a huge, huge problem. But just going plant-based and avoiding all meat is not going to solve the issue. So this, I say, is like a a real advocacy issue. We need to be fighting for the regenerative farming that is really, really good for the planet. I think the second big thing is that um, with the sustainability issue, people are saying that it's like it's wasting land space by having the animals graze. But we don't use a lot of the available pasture land with animals. And if we don't use it, that land is going to die and it's just going to turn to dust. Alternatively, I read the statistic, two-thirds of the surface of the land in our world is not even suitable for vegetable production anyways. So that means veganism is not sustainable. We really need both. But ultimately, it comes back to the soil and to regenerative farming where animals can roam freely, eat from the land, poop on the land, get sunshine so the plants get the photosynthesis and the nutrients. Again, circle of life, regenerative. It all takes care of itself. And there's a lot of great resources here like the movie Sacred Cow that Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf put together, their joint book, Sacred Cow. There's the Joel Salatin farm. Is it in Maryland, Virginia? Virginia, I think Northern Virginia. So you can check out Joel Salatin's farm. There's also the biggest little farm. They don't talk so much about nutrition, but they um, love this documentary. My mom and I watch this. Uh, Such a great story about how they really put this family that started this farm, put themselves through to create regeneration on the farm. And it was hard. They took, you know, seven years of their lives, really like losing a lot of animals, having a lot of disruptive weather, weather patterns, destroyed crops. But in the end, they found that every organism, animal species had a purpose there and they all supported one another if they allowed them to do what they naturally wanted to do. Really beautiful movie. Yeah, Q Circle of Life from Lion King. <laughs> Can you grab your cat right now? Can you grab Nala? Da, 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 da. <laughs> Theme song for today's episode. Yeah, actually, what you just said reminded me when I was in Costa Rica, we the resort we were at, all of their produce was 100% organic. And they said that is extremely rare. Can't remember if I've said this on the podcast before. Extremely rare because in Costa Rica, due to all of the insects and wildlife, they have to use a ton of pesticides. Mm. So this family farm that's 100% organic, they said they lose about 50% of their crop every year just because wow. that's how they survive. And it's kind of kind of sad, but amazing that they're willing to do that versus if you're not getting from an organic farm in Costa Rica and you're going down there for whatever hotel or retreat, you're probably eating p- produce that's Highly, highly sprayed with pesticides. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I guess it depends on the land and what the land is meant to do. And of course, what like crazy weather patterns we started this podcast talking about are, are really kind of ruining a lot of the natural farming. But yeah, just to come back to this argument, we shouldn't be avoiding it altogether. We should keep fighting to support regenerative farms and anything that you can do to support and to continue to eat that will only help the sustainability and health of the planet. And we haven't even really gotten into the nutrition. But if you look at fake meat products, this is simple, simple, simple. Fake meat products have a nutrition label. Real meat products do not. And that's because real meat products have one ingredient. Fake meat products do not. So this begs the question, what are those ingredients? If you were to isolate each, could you find them in the grocery store? I'm going to argue probably not. (laughs) Probably not quite the scavenger hunt. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And if you can't find them in the grocery store, that means that they're probably foreign to the body, probably processed, right? Not close to their original state. And any foods that are foreign, not in their original state, foreign, processed. Oh, gosh, I said those words. Well, and then there's ultra ultra processed, which is a newer term. I know it's used more in Canada than in the U.S., but so not just highly processed, but ultra processed. One step further. Kill everything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's frightening. So how does your brain, your gut, how does your body receive this as nutrition? Because if we want good nutrition, we need to give our body good cellular instructions. Everything that we eat is an instruction. So you hold the power. You have choices on what you instruct your body to do. So we want to make sure that list of instructions is as clean and potent and nutrient dense as possible. There was a really cool study that Deanna, uh, Diana Rogers posted on her blog. And if you are not fami- familiar with her, you can check out sustainabledish.com. I think that's also her name on Instagram. And she also has a podcast. She's spending all of her time really advocating for the welfare and, and environmental issues in the food system. So she has fantastic resources. But they did this study in New Zealand looking at the bioavailability of fake meat versus real meat. And they wanted to see, one, is the bioavailability the same? And two, did it affect biomarkers like glucose, insulin, appetite, cravings? Surprisingly, the results were the absorption was... Okay, this is not the surprising part. This is what I expected. The absorption rate was much higher in the animal protein group. Surprising part was that the biomarkers were the same. So we can kind of delve into that and look at the variables in the study. But I, I was surprised by that. I was like, okay, something something to pay attention to. And we'll revisit that idea in a second. But the bioavailability of protein. So in plants, plants have anti-nutrients because they need to survive in nature. And anti-nutrients can inhibit absorption of protein. So if you were to look at a label and say, you know, in a serving of your fake meat protein, 20 grams of protein, you're only absorbing, I'm not sure where the percentage is or what the highest likelihood of absorption is, maybe 30% of that protein. So you're putting your body under a, you know, it's a high workload to extract and absorb and assimilate, not a lot of bang for your buck. Whereas with animal protein, you're getting a much higher absorption rate. Of course, with protein, you're always going to lose a little bit, right? It's, um, it's a lot of energetic work breaking down protein and absorbing it. But they were able to look at the amino acids in plasma, so in blood after eating. And the amino acids were intact and full in the animal meat and not in fake meat. So if you think that you're getting adequate protein from fake meat or plant-based alternatives, I'll say probably not. Yeah. I think it's hard enough to get enough protein from from animal protein. I mean, like you're talking about the bioavailability. Like I think uh, eggs, I think is around 80%, but like chicken and turkey is around 50%. Um, beef, I think is somewhere in between and that's eating animal protein. So yeah. yeah. And I think huge issue for women getting enough protein. It's insanely difficult, as you said, even eating animal protein. So, um, and a lot of people will, uh, will argue that there's plenty of protein in plants. Sure. But like you said, yeah, if your body's not actually assimilating it, then who cares? And then, I mean, the whole other issue is the with the long list of ingredients. I mean, a lot of those things are extremely toxic to the body. I mean, the refined oils, the genetically modified soy, corn, soy protein isolate, all these things. And I actually came across a study that found a lot of those ingredients they're finding are feeding the bacteria in the gut that promote chronic disease. So now we're looking down at the level of the gut microbiome and what it's what's happening down there. And that's quite frightening, which is a big mm-hmm. argument with, you know, things like artificial sweeteners, right? Sucralose and aspartame where on like high level, we're like, oh, this seems great. But when you look down at what is happening in the gut and you realize it's feeding the wrong bacteria, that's extremely detrimental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder like short-term versus long-term, like I still have a big question mark ar- around the biomarkers that were reported in this test, like similar levels of glucose, insulin, appetite cravings, So there's obviously some nutrition coming in, but I wonder over time how it's affecting those. And especially if it's redirecting gut microbes in the microbiota. And of course, we want a more diverse gut and we don't want chemicals in there and toxins. And we are going to talk about artificial sweeteners, which we should probably transition into that directly after this because it's just so much correlation, correlation 
if the gut microbiota really is dictating our glucose metabolism and inflammatory status, brain function, cognitive status, energy levels, we really want to protect that as much as possible. So I wonder, I wonder if they would do a study over time, the same kind of study, same variables, if over time they would start to see glucose, insulin, appetite cravings start to diverge. I wonder. Right, right. Long-term versus short-term is a big thing. And then also, were they controlling for a lot of other variables with lifestyle? Who ever knows? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that's another big argument for the vegan movement is, unfortunately, in a lot of these studies, the meat eaters tend to also be sedentary, smoke, drink alcohol, versus the vegans are meditating, doing yoga, prioritizing getting out in sunshine, and blah, blah, blah. That. I mean, that's the tricky part about scientific research, right? You can only control mm-hmm. so much, but. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I do know about the study is that they were coming into a research facility and just eating one meal a day. So it was not, there was not a high amount of control over like mm. a 24 hour period. Yeah. Got so it. who knows what they were doing outside and it could totally like the lifestyle factors could totally be balanced out based on those variables you mentioned, smoking, yeah. being yeah. sedentary, what other chemicals artificial sweeteners, toxins, are they eating? Emotions. Yeah. Yeah. So much else to look at. Yep. It's impossible to control the human experience. (laughs) I guess the the last um, big argument here, which we kind of skipped over, is the water consumption. A lot of people are saying that it's very wasteful for water. But if we look back at the soil, healthy soil really acts like a sponge. So we have healthy soil that's getting the microbes, the nutrients, and it's going to soak up that water. When the soil is depleted from tilling and from herbicides and pesticides, it's going to get dry and it's not going to absorb. And that's when we get all the water runoff, which is really wasteful. So again, comes back to the soil. I did note in California's fourth climate change assessment, I thought this was cool. They found that a 1% increase in soil organic matter on the state's 26 million acres of crop and rangelands can potentially reduce irrigation demand by more than 208,000 acres per feet. And droughts are becoming more and more possible, prevalent, not a P word in there. So it's just really important that our land can hold on to the water. Soil, soil. It all starts with the soil. Yeah. I really want to talk about artificial sweeteners next. Okay. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Because the gut microbiome, huge, huge uh, connection here. And I think these arguments or these debates kind of fall into the same camp. It's like you can find research on either side that supports whichever argument you want to stand behind. And I think there are plenty of research papers, articles, lots of literature that says artificial sweeteners are totally fine. But what, yeah, what variables are we controlling for? Who paid for that? Sorry. Uh, who paid for that? So I think a couple of things. Go ahead. I just feel like a lot of the studies showing that they're dangerous, like, what are they rooting for? Like, why would they pay for that versus the companies that are selling the aspartame and sucralose? They obviously want studies to show it's okay. Sorry. Money, money, money. money. <laughs> Must be funny. It's funny. It's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> funny, not funny. Okay, okay. Sorry. Continue. The problem that I see with artificial sweeteners and, and really like listen to this, figure out what makes sense for you. Read the literature. What makes sense to me And because I look at glucose data all the time, I look at lab biomarkers, insulin, I see the way that biochemistry reacts to food or non-food. Artificial sweeteners, I believe, can cause an insulin release because your brain mistakes the artificial sweetener, the non-nutritive, for glucose because it has a sweet taste and your brain perceives sweet. And so it goes, pancreas, release insulin. There's food, starch, carbohydrate, sugar, glucose, whatever coming in. And anytime you call on insulin, it's like the boy that cried wolf. We want insulin because it's healthy. It's a, it's a hormone. It, it tells our body when to where to send the glucose. But we don't want to call on insulin too often, too frequently, because that's how we develop insulin resistance. So if you're choosing the artificial sweetener over the real sugar, and I'm not advocating for real sugar either. We'll get to that. But if you're tricking your brain into thinking that there is real sugar coming in, it's like the, the boy that cried wolf. At some point, your insulin is going to stop responding. So there was a study on type 2 diabetics, and I think this really applies to everyone because, as you know, if you've listened to us before, diabetes exists on a spectrum. You're not just non-diabetic and then diabetic the next day. 
But the study on type 2 diabetics, they developed even more insulin resistance from consuming artificial sweeteners. So again, it's on a spectrum. It can get worse. So there's the insulin effect. But what made me think about jumping to this category is that it also affects the gut microbiota because they're seeing increased dysbiosis, which relates to what you mentioned, Renee, and increased firmicutes in relation to bacteroides, which is a really important relationship, firmicutes to to bacteroides. And they're finding the more firmicutes you have, the more likelihood of obesity, cardiovascular disease. There's a lot of chronic disease that are related with a higher firmicutes to bacteroides ratio. Also, it affects satiety levels. So it kind of comes into the brain conversation again. You have these receptors that think that a certain nutrient is coming in. And you have these receptors throughout your body, but mainly in pancreatic cells in your intestine. And studies are showing that the artificial sweeteners generate weaker signals to those areas involved in reward and satisfaction. So that's a lot of the reason why we eat, right? We want to feel reward. We get a little dopamine hit, satisfaction, satiety. That's a good thing. These signals are weaker with artificial sweeteners. So that could make you more hungry. It could make you have more cravings. It could turn off, you know, your normal levels of hunger, satiety. So I'm going to argue that it is not a good thing. Yeah. And I would add a real life example of this, something that I noticed years ago when I was doing a lot of work with the HCG diet is the original protocol for anyone that's not familiar with the HCG diet, you're injecting human chorionic gonadotropin hormone into your body, and then you're eating 500 calories a day. Say that 10 times fast. Yeah. <laughs> Hence why we call it the HCG diet. But uh... <laughs> so anyways, you're using this hormone to be able to eat 500 calories, which is telling your body to burn fat for fuel, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, what I saw was since you could technically have artificial sweeteners on the original protocol because there's no calories in it, right? There's no sugar, there's no calories. The people that insisted on having that, I always noticed they struggled with the weight loss, they struggled more with hunger, and they struggled more with cravings. Mm. And that, it wasn't written out anywhere at the time. Maybe there's literature to support what I found now, but I definitely saw it. So I'd always warn people, I'm like, you're, you're technically allowed to have this, but you might struggle more when you do. And I just, time and time again, I saw that. So something going on with, like you said, with the brain and reward and maybe the gut microbiome too. So. Yeah. And I guess one more thing related to the gut microbiome, GLP-1, which is naturally secreted. We talked about peptides recently with Natalie. We've had some other peptide episodes, GLP-1 agonists. So those drugs that support the release of that we're supposed to have it naturally. And um, when you intake artificial sweeteners, you're not getting the same effect on these secreted gogs for GLP-1. So um, you're not getting the same secretion that you would with real food. So if you're jumping to these GLP-1 medications agonists, instead of just fixing your food quality and nutrition, I, I think that's a big overstep or oversight. Yeah. Agreed. I think if you're going to do any of those peptides, you really have to be checking off all the other basic boxes first. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, my vote is no artificial sweeteners. And again, it comes back to, are we trying to trick the body? I mean, the human body is so intelligent and we're trying to make these things in a lab to override the natural biological system. Just doesn't feel right. And again, I'll say it again. Like you have to decide what makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. And I think it makes, yeah, you just said it makes sense to you. But then also like experience, when I look at glucose data, I see it quite quite frequently. Little things like coffee creamers that have artificial sweeteners in it, which sometimes people overlook because they're not looking all the way down the ingredient list, which gosh, so easy to do. I've mistakenly bought things before that looked healthy on the outside and I got home. I was like, oh, whoops. Yeah. The Um, second to last ingredient. Yeah. They sneak it in there. They sneak it in there. And so I've seen even something simple like that, where a coffee creamer, which is predominantly fat, says organic on it, could still have an artificial sweetener. I've, I've seen it spike glucose and you could argue, you know, coffee spikes some uh, glucose in some people, but I've seen enough of it that it seems like when we control for all variables, that seems to be the one that throws it. And many times fed clients just go replace that. And then that spike doesn't happen anymore. So Hmm. Something good to test. If you have a glucose monitor, test it for yourself. See what happens. What about monk fruit and stevia? Do you see that same issue? 
I wish that I could speak clearly and from an educated place about stevia. I don't know enough about it. I know that there are certain types of stevia that are more processed than others. Right. Like Truvia, I know is extremely processed. Yeah. Um, I think from a glucose perspective, they typically seem to be okay, but there's also the microbiome issue. Like it responds differently in different people. So again, this is why we test because we're all very different and unique. And something like Stevia, which is, you know, it is plant-based, right? But then you take a, you know, a brand like Truvia, which is I think owned by Coca-Cola. And I remember reading a while back, like the number of times they have to process it to get it to be Truvia actually from the plant versus maybe if you go to Whole Foods now and you get like an organic liquid Stevia off the shelf, it's actually quite different. Mm. Okay. So I'm going to say, do your research on that. (laughs) Everyone go do your own research. Yeah. But I guess another argument is why do you need those sweet receptors? Why do you (laughs) need the sweet? I, I think we're like fulfilling too much of a sweet taste or sweet desire. We have so many different needs on our taste buds. And I think we're not getting enough of, especially the bitter, the astringent, you know, there's a lot of ways to enhance flavor. Why is it always that we go to sweet first? There's so many herbs and nutrients and spices and different flavor profiles that could really fulfill a lot of satisfaction and health benefits. So maybe just question, you know, why sweet first? Is there something else? Is there another flavor profile that I could fulfill and reward? Right. And I find that more people reduce their sugar consumption, the less that they want it because you're not feeding the microbes that like the sugar, right? You got the sugar hungry microbes in your gut. You're like, we're having a party. Keep feeding me. And if you keep feeding them, they're going to keep getting hungry. So yeah, yeah, there might be a little transition period where food sucks because you're used to having it sweet. And then over time, you don't even notice it. Oh, yeah. I, when I used to run the 21 day sugar detox, which is it's 21 days, nothing sweet, like not even berries, right? There's just, we're totally resetting those taste buds. And people would always say that first week after I would recommend start with like a strawberry and people would always be like, that was so sweet. Oh my God. Like blown away by the sweetness of a strawberry. (laughs) So you can retrain those taste buds. And actually I just, uh, Ryan and I for Valentine's Day, well, you know this, we did this like crazy long dinner and there were these cocktail pairings and every cocktail was just like this sugar bomb. I would take one sip and just be like so grossed out, but everyone else at the table was like, oh, this is so good. I'm like, here, you, you can have mine. This is just like, ugh. Yeah. So you can retrain your taste buds is the lesson there. What's up, biohackers? What if I told you there was a supplement that is helpful for immune health, dental health, skin care, even can help our pets at times, and it has actually been used by many ancient civilizations for a long, long time? I am talking about silver today. It was actually used before the mainstream discovery and acceptance of antibiotics in the early 1900s. Uh, Silver was used in hospitals and is still used today. And we do want to be careful about the quality of silver. This is why we love the silver sold technology. It's not ionic. It's actually a true colloidal silver, which is a nanoparticle coated by a silver oxide. So what you really need to remember is that it's more effective and more efficient at lower parts per million. And the silver sold technology that we love is 10 to 33 parts per million versus there's other companies that have up to 3,000 parts per million. So the takeaway more is not always better. And the company that we really, really love to use is Silver Biotics because they have a wide range of products, like I said, for immune-specific, dental-specific, even the pet care, wound care, all of these great options. And the Silver Soul technology has a natural way of targeting invaders without the side effects, so using multiple modes of action on how it targets invaders. It uses the natural elements to kind of trick the body, so to speak, to kickstart the immune system. So especially through the winter, we love using the immune support. So if you want to check out these awesome products, you can head over to silverbiotics.com and make sure you use discount code biohackerbabes at checkout to save some money. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I suppose we could talk about alcohol really quickly. Obviously, alcohol is a poison. It's a neurotoxin, but you and I enjoy cocktails. Again, why are we defaulting to the sweet? We're defaulting to the sweet to cover up the taste of alcohol. So if you don't like the taste of alcohol, why are you drinking it? There are other things that you can consume to get a state change, to feel good, to enjoy yourself. 
So right. why are we just masking something that wouldn't naturally taste good to you? It doesn't make any sense. It's like we're eating Band-Aids. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which Ryan thinks some mezcal tastes like Band-Aids. So there you go. Oh, I know. When uh, I was in Tulum, Jeremy told a local that the mezcal tasted like Band-Aids. And the local who had been drinking mezcal his entire life said, oh, my God, it does. Oh. <laughs> I thought that conversation was going to go a different direction, that you got kicked out or something. <laughs> we didn't, but it's like this guy never even thought about that. It was fascinating. Anyways. Oh my gosh. Well, we could do a whole episode about alcohol. Totally. Let's, um, do so don't eat Band-Aids. <laughs> uh, other ways to support the gut microbiome. What's top of the list for you, Renee? I think fasting has to be at the top. One, it's free and everyone can do it. You know, typically after what most of the literature I have read, it's about 12 hours of no food, just water. And I'm saying like no supplements or anything, just water. We can see a difference in the gut microbiome. And then obviously there's extended fasting. You know, if you can do one day, three day water fasting, you know, we're seeing amazing things. And even uh, a lot of like three day water fasts for things like Crohn's, IBD, IBS, um, a lot of really good research on that. So yeah. I mean, obviously if you're going to do an extended water fast, I would say work with a practitioner, you know, don't just mm-hmm. try and do it tomorrow, but. And get a continuous glucose monitor. The little doctor on your arm can be a really great way to guide your fast. So if you haven't heard us talk about CGMs, well, one, check out Dr. Minnie Pels, who he had on our podcast recently, who is a wealth of information for fasting, specifically for women and her book, Fast Like a Girl. Awesome. Very digestible, easy resource to consume. And get a CGM because if you bl- monitor your blood sugar levels, you know, you can start to condition your body to realize we don't need constant food all the time. But it also is a good gauge if your blood sugar does start dropping to know when to break your fast because that's the big question. How long? And it's different for everybody. So you can use the CGM to determine when to close the fasting window and start your gentle refeed again. But I've seen amazing progress in glucose metabolism, glucose data with just one day of fasting. So I have most of my female clients and all of my male clients do some type of fasting, not intermittent fasting. I think, I don't know, at this point, intermittent fasting, I would just lump into the circadian fasting. Everyone should be doing that, not eating when it's dark, putting the bulk of your nutrients when the sun is up. I think we all understand that now. But doing the extended fasting, I find most people are doing intermittent fasting or have at least experimented with it. But have you pushed yourself to be a little uncomfortable and done a little bit longer of a fast? So I would say that's over 18 hours. Yeah. Yeah. I have most of my male clients do a 24-hour fast, either weekly or biweekly, depending on what their goals are. Um, And that seems to work better than even just like OMAD. So a lot, I see a lot of male clients that are just coming to me and they're, they're doing one meal a day, right? The OMAD. I actually then make them do two meals a day and then do the 24 hour fast weekly or biweekly. And it's like kind of a game changer. I like that. Yeah. 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 Variability and making sure there's a refeed. Yeah. 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 Because some people get so addicted to the fasting and the low blood sugar. They're like, I'm losing weight. My glucose looks good. But listen, we got to refeed. This is normal, normal ancestral practice. When there's food, we should eat it. Unfortunately, we have food all the time. So you get to determine when your feasting is. But Right. Feast and famine. Although the famine is artificial at this point, I guess. <laughs> artificial famine. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. So I think fasting is great also for the gut microbiome. You know, I always looking at allergies, sensitivities, and intolerances. And I know like a lot of food sensitivity panels are getting quite popular. And yes, I don't think that they're 100% accurate. In allergy tests, yes. If you suspect that you're reacting to a food, which is like a true IgE response, please go do that. Typically, your physician will run that and your insurance will cover it. I mean, that's going to look at the main things, you know, corn, wheat, nuts, things like that, but eggs. Um, So definitely like removing the main allergies and it's more common than people think. So I would say that's number one. Then the sensitivities, if you have totally cleaned up your diet, you're doing everything we talk about in this episode, you're fasting, and you're still suspicious you're reacting to something, that's when testing for sensitivities can be helpful. And that's looking at the IgG response. And, you know, sometimes it can be really helpful. Like for me, every time I run that test, almonds come up and just almonds are not my friend. Oh, interesting. Even after eliminating them for a period of time to kind of reset, clear the antibodies. Yeah, because the funny thing is, I don't, I don't like almonds. 
confession. Oh, intuitive eating. <laughs> I have never really enjoy them. I mean, I'll like, I used to put almond butter in a smoothie because it would just blend up and I'd be like, okay, I'm getting my almonds, but I naturally just don't really want to eat almonds. And then when I do the test, it still comes up. So yeah, my intuition is on point. I love that. Yeah. Listen, listen, listen to your bodies, people. I love it. Yes. <laughs> and then the last thing there, again, listen to your body for this is intolerances. So it's not a true allergy or sensitivity. And intolerance can be, you know, you just maybe don't do well with things that are higher in oxalate or phytates, you know, things like that. And that's can be based off of genetics, your gut microbiome, the way mm-hmm. you're chewing your food, the way you're cooking your food, right? There's just so many variables there, but when we're getting down to the nitty gritty, it's something to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a good transition into talking about mindfulness, intuitive eating, some psychology around nutrition. Hey there, biohackers. It is no secret that stress is a common factor that affects everyone in today's fast paced world, leading to various health issues, including heart problems, inflammation, obesity, and mental illness. While most people focus on finding relief through meditation or trips to the spa, what if the root cause of stress is actually a deficiency in a key nutrient? If you've heard our recent episodes about optimizing mental health, you know that nutrition is an essential factor, with magnesium being super important here. This is why we love, love, love Magnesium Breakthrough, the ultimate magnesium supplement that offers the full spectrum of all seven types of magnesium, specially formulated to reach every tissue in your body for maximum health benefits. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, disrupting many of our crucial metabolic pathways, leading to poor sleep, low energy levels, and dysregulated moods. What sets Magnesium Breakthrough apart is its ability to impact the release of stress hormones like cortisol and block the activity of more stimulating neurotransmitters, leading to a more peaceful and resting state. This means that this supplement acts like a break on your body's nervous system, helping to calm and soothe, promoting a better quality of life. If you want to check out Magnesium Breakthrough, simply go to magbreakthrough.com backslash biohackerbabes. You can get 10% off Magnesium Breakthrough with code biohackerbabes10. And for a limited time only, if you buy three bottles, you can get exciting gifts with your purchases like blue light, blocking glasses, and more. This is a limited time offer for select orders, so do not wait. Head over to magbreakthrough.com backslash biohackerbabes to get this offer and start optimizing your health and nutrition today. Let's get back to the show. We could be, you know, have a really tight grip on healthy food and we're doing everything, best efforts to have the highest quality food, which, you know, is an expense, difficult and expensive to eat healthy. We could be doing all of those things and eating everything right, quality of the food, but we have to look at how we're eating it. So this is the environment in which we're sitting down, enjoying our food, breathing, bringing our nervous system into a parasympathetic state. Are we chewing as many times as our grandmother told us to chew at least 30 before swallowing? Are we distracting ourselves while we're eating? Now, I find it's really hard, actually, especially eating alone to just sit with a bowl of food, a plate of food especially in the middle of the day, who wants to stop their work day, especially, you know, we, we get into the flow and it's really hard to just sit. It feels time consuming, but your brain has to recognize that nutrition is coming in because your digestion, everyone's like, it starts in the mouth. No, it starts with your eyeballs. Your eyeballs have to perceive that there is food about to come in and then it comes to your mouth. So digestive enzymes, saliva, uh, which releases digestive enzymes is going to start breaking down your food. So you got to see it. You got to chew it. It's going to mix up with your saliva. You got to smell it. Yeah. And then it's going to go down the tube and do all the other things. And hopefully that goes well. But eating slow really matters. Eating not in a stressed or rushed state really matters. And I see this with glucose metabolism all the time, sometimes just slowing. And I'm sorry, guys, but it is much more common in the male population than females for the men to just eat super fast. I hear it all the time. Men are like, my wife tells me you got to slow down. I'm like, I'll second that. What do you need I'm, to do? I'm, I'm laughing because I saw this Instagram video yesterday of, I forget the comedian's name, but he just did the whole video about cold plunging, which is hilarious. I'll link to it in the show notes if anyone hasn't seen it. But he did Sebastian just- Maniscalco? No, I don't think that's his name. Maybe, maybe. Anyways, he did one about men versus 
women eating. And the man's just like, and the wife is like, what are you doing over there? <laughs> so judgmental. So true. So true. <laughs> Anyways, Listen, everyone's just, digestive health is different. So no judgment. I just, I see it more often that men tend to rush a little bit more. And I've seen really amazing changes in glucose metabolism. So the excursions of your glucose. So I'm, I'm comparing like over 30 points versus a normal rise of 10, 15, maybe 20 points after a meal can be changed just by slowing down, taking some deep breaths, chewing your food, and getting that adequate digestion that starts from your neck up. Also, if we do that, we get increased satiety. So if you have trouble with overeating or you're out of touch with your fullness signals, if you get those two signals, eyes, mouth, oh, three, nose, you said nose, smelling your food, the chances of your satiety the chances that you will feel more full, the chances that you'll feel more, what am I trying to say? Satiation. Satisfied. Satisfied. (laughs) We're going to be more likely if you have that that process. So the body is such a miraculous thing, but sometimes we got to go slow and like dumb it down, right? We're going to let these signals be communicated. Yeah. Um, And I hear this a lot with smoothies. A lot of clients say the smoothie doesn't fill me up. Well, one, maybe we don't have the adequate macronutrient percentages, ratios, maybe there's not enough fat or fiber. Maybe you could throw some more protein in there. But I think the biggest common denominator is people are not chewing their smoothies. There's a straw. And so it just slides down the back of your throat. How convenient if you're on the go and rushing, but we're missing those three signals. So be the weirdo that slurps your smoothie and then chews it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm guilty. I've known this for years and I still sometimes will make my smoothie and I will drink it down really fast. And always I'm like, I just need to bite into like one piece of food and then I will feel satisfied. I have to chew just one freaking thing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Me too. I mean, we are not exceptions to this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a good strategy for that or a good hack um, is to put, make a bowl, a smoothie bowl. So ditch the straw make yourself eat it with a spoon and put something that requires chewing on top, like coconut flakes or maybe some seeds or some nuts or some fruit. Bee pollen. Bee pollen. That's a good one. Yeah. Or maybe you just eat some raw veggies before. Just get your digestion, your enzymes starting to release before you drink the smoothie. Anyways, how do we get on this? Intuitive That's a great hack. Affecting your satiety, fullness. How you eat is just as important as what you eat. So if you're putting a ton of effort into the quality of your food, put just as much effort into how you're eating. Yeah. That's my, that's my ask. Our ask. Yeah. Oh, ditto a thousand times. Yeah. I see it time and time again. People are so stressed about getting the right macros and right ingredients and everything. And, and they're stressed to the max. Just take it down a notch. Ooh. And I would argue if you are so stressed and rush and don't have time, it's probably better to not eat, but just make sure it's an intentional period of fasting and make sure you're still hydrating so that your cells are still getting the electrical charge and maybe keep taking your supplements. I wouldn't just deplete your body because that's also mm-hmm. a stressor. Like choose your stressors wisely, but maybe just sit and have a quick conversation with yourself. Is it better to rush and eat this food knowing that I'm not going to get optimal digestion, metabolism? satiety. Maybe it's better to wait until I can sit and calmly ingest. Yeah. That's a great point. All right. What's next? Well, if we're talking about psychology, intuition, mindful eating, we could turn to nutrition for mental health, which we wanted to talk about because we had Brendan Vermeer on and we hope you heard that episode because he's fantastic. We didn't really get to dive into nutrition. I love him for this, but you know, when you ask him a question, sometimes he's like, a little hesitant to respond because it's so personalized and individualized. So it's really difficult to give an answer because his experience, and I think this is our experience too. We don't want to give too specific information because we want to have the resources and the critical thinking around the why. But I think it still is important to talk about nutrients that are important to mental health and make sure that if you are eating in a calm you know, highly digestible environment that intaking these foods is going to be really, really great for mental health. And mental health includes not only warding off neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's, dementia, 
It could be, you know, the spectrum of anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, ALS, but also just having good mood, motivation, energy, you know, zest for life. It's all really important. Anything to add in there? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is just so overlooked and there's definitely such a a big conversation happening about mental health now. I see it with friends and family and clients and social media, but there's so much bypassing of just what we're eating. And, and, and eating, it goes both ways, right? There's the foods that are actually causing this neuroinflammation, causing these mood disorders, but then it's, but what can we eat to actually optimize those things? So it's both ends of the spectrum. Such a great point. Yeah. We're taught what to avoid. <laughs> and then, you know, we just have a pharma issue. It's a big moneymaker, that industry. And it's just largely that's what Western medicine has been taught. And those drugs are very valuable. But yeah, if we could just increase our likelihood of experiencing better mental health, why wouldn't we? So, and I would just add in too with like microdosing and doing these plant medicine journeys, like that is definitely helping a lot of people. But I would still say, but what are you eating? You know, that's next level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess disclaimer, if you want to do a microdosing journey or a macro journey, and this goes, I mean, any of my clients, we have to do a full health history intake. We do a full health coaching series. We'll not enter into that process if you haven't done that first. The behavioral nutrition and stuff is super important. But So eating for mental health, I would say, number one, anything that supports our glucose because neurodegenerative conditions, but also just poor mood, poor motivation is characterized by neuronal insulin resistance. So again, anything that is boy who cried wolf on your insulin over and over again, or just unmanaged glucose, you know, eating things that you're sensitive to, like you talked about Renee, anything that you're intolerant to, sensitive to, actually allergic to, could be spiking your glucose. So just more motivation to get a CGM and just test things. Tests, different everybody. Number two, anti-inflammatory diet. So mental health, mood, motivation, neurodegenerative conditions are a byproduct of neuroinflammation, inflammation in your brain. So let's stop eating things that cause inflammation in the body. That's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Simple enough. Yeah. And again, that could be different for everybody. You know, some people have to go far end of the extreme, like complete AIP, maybe short or long term. Some people are not quite as sensitive, but this is about knowing your body and knowing your needs, looking at genetics cross-referencing with your blood chemistry, what's actually expressing, monitoring your gut, doing an elimination diet if that suits you. And I think should suit everyone at some point in time. Just do an elimination diet, just test for yeah. yourself. Third thing is eating a nutrient-dense diet. Most American diets, we've all heard of the standard American diet. The acronym is SAD because it is, it is SAD and it is deficient in nutrients, specifically B12, folate, also B vitamin, zinc, and magnesium. These are critical nutrients for many reasons, but really critical for proper methylation. So many people are talking about dysfunctional methylation. I think that's what I wanted to say. Dysfunctional methylation. Methylation is essential for DNA production, cellular genetic expression, our neurotransmitters like your dopamine, your serotonin, important for detoxification, immune function, hormones, nitric oxide production, which I think this is interesting. A lot of people are taking nitric oxide supplements. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're missing an opportunity to just get the cofactors to make your body produce the nitric oxide naturally. Just a thought. Mm. And so much more. Methylation is really important. And those four, I mean, there are more nutrients in this, but I'm going to argue that B12, folate, zinc, and magnesium are the most important. Till you have a thought. Awesome list. No, you're you're on such a roll. I love, I love this. <laughs> Why do you want to share some of your like favorite foods for these things? Because I'm sure a lot of people are wondering if they are getting it in their yeah. diet. Folate goes at the top of the list, and folate is mostly found in dark leafy greens. We mentioned this very briefly in the episode with Brendan. And sorry, men, to rag on you today, but a lot of men don't eat a lot of dark leafy greens, right? Hmm. Depends on the man. I'm making, I'm definitely making a generalization, but I'm just looking at client population. More of my female clients eat dark leafy greens than the men. Interesting. Um, dark leafy greens, spinach, asparagus, Brussels, broccoli, collards, dandelion greens, arugula, anything that's a deep or even moderately green color. Um, there's other foods like sunflower seeds, Liver, which is a tough one, but if there's space in your diet for organ meats or maybe you supplement with it, 
uh, seafood, eggs, legumes, but, you know, be careful. A lot of people have sensitivities to the anti-nutrients and legumes. Avocado, great one. So folate, I just think this is so cool. Folate starts the methylation process. If you're not getting adequate folate, your entire methylation cycle is compromised. And so then all those things that I listed before will be compromised. Detoxification, neurotransmitters, hormones, nitric oxide production, genetic expression. We have to have folate. And synthetic folate is not doing it. So a lot of foods are um, fortified and there's a lot of supplements out there. Check folic acid. Folic acid, it clogs up your methylation pathway. You are absorbing some, but it disrupts the pathway, makes it a lot harder. So make sure you're getting folate, methylfolate, for, uh, or folinic acid. Folinic acid. Did I say that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the folic acid that's in all the prenatals. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Most. I mean, it's definitely changing. I'm seeing a, a change there, but. Yeah, I'm seeing better and better prenatals these days. I think that's a huge win, progress happening. Yeah. Next big one, zinc, which Brendan talks about all the time. He he says that magnesium is really like the popular nutrient in town right now. Everyone's like, you're deficient in magnesium. Everyone needs magnesium, which is true. But zinc is not getting the attention that it it needs. A lot of people are zinc deficient for many reasons. Um, But zinc-rich foods, oysters. Not a lot of people like oysters, but if you do, you know, you could splurge when you go out to eat, dress them up. I know you're like mom, gross. Dress them up. <laughs> I got the gene from Mama. She loves oysters. <laughs> Can I put some mezcal on there and do an oyster shooter? Whatever you need to do, hon. <laughs> Clams. I know this doesn't get much better, um, but there is a high amount of zinc in beef and pumpkin seeds. Love my pumpkin seeds. Mushrooms. Um, you can also supplement with zinc, but we want to make sure that it's bioavailable. So test your levels. I think that's really where it falls. Like just make sure that you're at an adequate functional range level. Vitamin D, cod liver oil, gross. But if you can stomach it, cod liver oil is a great source of vitamin D. Wild caught. Sorry, I don't mean to rag on cod liver oil. I have, I have trouble. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. I'm going to try. <laughs> you can get it in capsule form. True. Does that help? Oh, yeah. And I do take it in capsule form. So you burp it up. Yeah. Anyways, that's number one. Number two, wild caught salmon. Easy enough. Most people like salmon. Make sure it's wild caught. Mackerel, sardines, beef liver. There it is again. Egg yolk. So if you're still the person that's only eating egg whites because you still believe that old myth that egg yolks are going to kill you. Cholesterol. What? Egg yolks. Mm, (laughs) Vitamin D. And then a whole host of mushrooms, morel mushrooms, shiitake, oyster mushrooms, but there's catch here. You have to make sure that your mushrooms are grown in sunlight, much like the human body. We produce vitamin D from sun exposure. Mushrooms are the same. They need to be in sunlight. So, uh, you know, you got to do your due diligence and research and make sure that your mushrooms were not grown indoors in the shade. It's not going to be the same. Also, vitamin D is a fat-soluble nutrient, so you want to eat it with a fat for best absorption. So some of those foods have fat already in them, but if you're taking a supplement, yeah? I'm laughing at the mushroom thing. Um, Do you remember that episode of, I think it was Portlandia was the show? Yeah. And they're at the restaurant. Oh, they're they're at this restaurant in Portland, and they're like, where was this chicken born? Do you have the birth certificate? What was the mother's name? What was the birthday? All these questions. I'm like, can you imagine going to a restaurant and being like, were these mushrooms grown in the sunshine or indoors? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to eat them if they were grown indoors. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay, We are not advocating for you being the annoying uh, patron at the restaurant, but if you can go to the grocery store, farmer's market. You or know, grow you your own. Or grow your own. But you can like quietly do your your due diligence. Yes. <laughs> okay, sorry. Portland, I'm yeah. full of tangents today. I love it. And what else? I mean, vitamin D is just insanely important. Immune health, but also it promotes detoxification of your central nervous system and clearance of amyloid beta plaque. So that's hallmark of uh, Alzheimer's. So aging of the brain, neuroinflammation. Vitamin D is really important. And... Something important to note, if you're testing your vitamin D levels, 
vitamin D is not always low because you haven't eaten it or supplemented with it or not gotten sunshine. It's a negative acute phase reactant, which means in the presence of inflammation, it's going to go down. So just something for your brain, critical thinking, if you look at your lab tests, we don't always want to jump to, oh, I just need to supplement. It's really important to get to the root or understand why the vitamin D may be low. If you do have inflammation in your body, we want to make sure we take care of that and not just jump to the supplement. But in general, most of us can do better with sun exposure. And I do think ancestrally, we were designed to store vitamin D through the winter. So it just means you want to get adequate sunshine in in the summertime and then rely on these vitamin D foods throughout the year. Yeah. We're like bears that kind of hibernate through the winter. I don't think it's natural that we need to be getting the vitamin D in the winter. I think we can store it and survive else other ways. So yeah, but I've never read that. That just makes sense to me though. Yeah. Intuitively, that just sounds right. Survival. Yeah. I mean, we naturally, we need a little bit more sleep in the winter. We can tend to eat more higher fat foods, less carbs. We can fast longer, right? It's like there's definitely the seasonal component to everything. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Great. Oh, I forgot about magnesium. Magnesium foods. Quick, oh, yeah. Ray, what is magnesium in? Um, chocolate. Nuts and seeds. Nuts and <laughs> seeds. Avocado. What else is magnesium in? My brain's going, oh. Nuts and seeds are my go-to. And chocolate. My daily dose of chocolate. Yeah, chocolate. <laughs> magnesium. Dark greens. Yep, dark leafy greens. Magnesium, I think everyone knows the importance, but I just want to also say in relation to, I want to say in relation to vitamin D, magnesium is a cofactor for vitamin D. So if you are deficient in magnesium and you're supplementing vitamin D, you may not be absorbing it if you're deficient in magnesium. So really, again, B12, folate, zinc, magnesium, check it off the list. Eat as many of these foods as you can. And check your lab work. Check your blood chemistry. Are the levels sufficient? And I think eat the rainbow, as Dr. Deanna uh, Minnick just shared. Yes. I think it can be overwhelming being like, oh, am I eating enough zinc and magnesium and stuff? I think, again, if it's overwhelming, take a step back and say, am I eating whole foods? Am I eating the rainbow every day? Right? Yeah. Getting at least one food from every color category. Yeah. And that should cover a lot of your nutrients there. Definitely. All right. What did we not cover? Genetics? I think genetics, genetics, just a quick little thing about genetics. I think we have to talk about it when it comes to creating your optimal nutrition plan. Genetic testing is not the end all be all. I do think it's, you know, most, most experts are saying it's maybe about 8% of the puzzle, right? I think it's good to just run it once, run it with a company that is not selling your data though, please. And just get the basic information. Like for me, I've talked about this many times on the podcast. It was so helpful to find out that I don't do well with saturated fat genetically. It, yeah. I could not get that through my mind until I saw it on paper that genetically I don't do well with it. And when I cut back, I felt better. I mean, it's just one example. So I think do the test, just get some very basic information and just try and let that guide you towards that direction as you're doing all these other nutrition factors that we just talked about. But don't say it's black and white. My genetics said this, I have to do this, nothing else will work, right? It's just 8% of the equation. And it's really about the epigenetics, right? You, you briefly talked about that, right? With methylation, epigenetics, we're turning these genes on and off based off, based off of what we're eating, our lifestyle, our stress, all these other factors. So again, just- For choices. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. I'll never forget when you learned that. And that was kind of the first, uh, that was a huge light bulb moment because that was at the beginning of the bulletproof coffee phase when everyone was doing more intermittent fasting and just fat bombing their coffee, you know, 400 calories, two tablespoons of butter, two tablespoons of MCT oil. It's supposed to make your brain clear up and, you know, insane energy all day long. And you felt terrible. Yeah. But all the research and opinion was like, this is good for you. Yeah, yeah. I think I had this like weird brain fog, but at the same time, I was drinking this big coffee in the morning. So the caffeine kind of fueled me through it. So I think it was kind of tricking me. I'm like, I'm a little foggy, but I have energy. So it's okay. It's it's working. You rationalize it. Yeah, rationalize it. Yeah, the things we do. Oh, gosh. 
So just to wrap up, I think just some big takeaways. One, you know what's best for your body. So pay attention, listen to your body. If there's something in, intuitively that you're, is being communicated to your body, listen to it. Like Renee with almonds, I think that's so cool. Um, if you suspect there's some kind of intolerance, sensitivity, do a test. I like the MRT, the mediated release inflammatory test. Um, I mean, there's lots of tests out there you could do, but elimination diet, I think, is probably the best way to test if you're sensitive to something. Yeah. For and sure. then with all of this nutrition, I mean, you want to test your blood chemistry, do your lab work. So many people are behind on lab work still from the pandemic. You haven't gone to see your doctor. Get it. You should get it twice a year. And this is really the best tell to see if your diet is working for you. Are your nutrients sufficient? Is there inflammation in the body? Is there something that we can improve on, even if it's just hydration? And get yourself a continuous glucose monitor if you haven't, even just for one month. Just get it. It will personalize your diet so much. It is so unbelievable. I got mine on. She does. For another week. My little guinea pig. Yes. I love it. Still right. like fruit, fruit and gluten-free flatbread are the biggest offenders. Oh, let's talk about the fruit <laughs> offline. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> okay. Everyone's all fruit phobic now. Uh, no, I love my fruit, but I, okay. yeah. All right. To be continued. Fruit is not bad, but yeah, I know it's nuanced like that. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, all thank right. you for tuning into our nutrition episode. If you have any follow-up questions about the content that we share today, please let us know. Or if you have any questions, ideas, inspiration for a future episode, let us know. You can find us on Instagram, biohacker underscore babes, or you can email us biohackerbabes at gmail.com. That's it. Great. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Hey, biohackers. Thank you so much for staying until the end. And because you did, we have a very exciting announcement. For the next 90 days, we are giving free access to our seven-day Biohacker Babes Challenge. Each day includes a quick nutrition video, workout of the day, and actionables to keep you on track as we move further away from the new year. This is a great time to reinvest in your resolutions and bring a friend along for the ride. The offer will only be available for these 90 days or until the end of April. To access this challenge for free and to invite a friend, scroll down to the show notes and click the link. We will make sure you can't miss it. Happy biohacking. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with your physician or health care professional.